everybody. Welcome to episode 11 of the Snake in the Draft podcast, a podcast made to help you look at players and fantasy football differently than you normally do. I'm your host, Jacob Vines. You can find me on Twitter at jsnake underscore DFF. In this episode, I have David Wilsey joining me. You can find David on Twitter at Wilson8Tor, and that's T-O-R, uh, which you should already be following there. He's doing great great work. Uh, he's a writer for Dynasty League Football, the creator of the RBPC analytic model, uh, which is pinned on his Twitter page. You should definitely check it out. So uh, today we're going to be talking about David's projections and break down the projections for the Cowboys, 49ers, and Panthers. So welcome to the show, David. How are you today? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, excited to be here and talk a little football with you. Uh, it's It's been hot. I've been outside most of the day today, so it's going to be nice to sit in the AC for a little while. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, I don't know where you live, but I live in uh, Austin, Texas, and so oh. it's been it's been a little toasty recently. I can imagine. I was I was born in uh, in Temple and didn't live there too terribly long, but I uh, I live on the eastern side of Washington State now, and it's you know people just hear Washington and they automatically think of Seattle and rain, and the uh, the other side of the state's a completely different world. It's a desert in the summer and tundra in the winter. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I've just been uh, in Texas my whole life. So I could definitely see how it's probably, is it more humid in that area or just because it's more that desert, it's more of like a dry heat. It's pretty, it's pretty dry. Yeah. But I I definitely know exactly what you're talking about. I, I haven't been back to Texas in a while, but I was in uh, New Orleans a few years back. And I tell you what, man, you get out of the shower, walk outside and you have to take another shower. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's completely true. So speaking of you being in uh, Washington, this may relate to the, my next question. So what is one hobby that you really enjoy doing that does not relate to fantasy football? Honestly, uh, r- right now, I pretty much it's hang out with the kids and f- the uh, the girlfriend and do fantasy football. <laughs> so I, like I, I work, uh, I build swimming pools. And so like Monday through Friday, you know, five to two, three or four o'clock in the afternoon, I'm, I'm all taken up. So when I get home, it's pretty much just what little time I can jump on the computer and do some stuff, hang out with the kids till they go to bed and then, you know, watch a show with, uh, with the old lady and, and then sit in front of the computer until I fall asleep. (laughs) What, uh, what's the show? What's the show that you're watching right now? Oh, let's see. We're watching, we are watching Hannah right now. Uh, Pretty pretty good show. I saw the uh, never saw the movie back in I think 2012 is when it came out, but I'd seen the previews for it. We checked it out, and we're pretty addicted to that right now. So it's a good one if you uh, are looking for something new. Awesome, I'll have to do that. And I also understand being really busy to only really be able to do your uh, like your job and then your and then fantasy football because I'm currently going to physical therapy school and I'm dealing with the same thing to where it's either school or fantasy football and don't really have that. Uh, hobby outside of that because fantasy football is the hobby. Yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly right. And, uh, you know, con- pre preemptive congratulations on your future uh, career. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, man, I'm excited for it. it it's been an interesting ride and it's uh, definitely going to be excited whenever everything can go back to a relative new normal and be able to do more in-person classes and things like that. But I think everybody's ready for it to be go back to more of a normal with everything going on. Yeah, no, that, that's definitely it, it's definitely uh, 
we've drifted way far from the comfort zone for for a while now and it's it's i you know i you always see the arguments of you know both sides and and i i live with somebody who's very high risk my girlfriend is type 1 diabetic since she was six so i uh, we take it probably more serious than a lot of people do and it's fine with me like i said i don't really do a whole lot nowadays i'm i'm almost 36 with three kids and i basically you know have two full-time jobs so staying at home is not really an issue for me yeah yeah i've been i've been staying home most of the time and uh i definitely understand if you're with someone who's more of that higher risk category just being careful and hopefully we're, we're past this sooner than later for sure absolutely absolutely it's uh it's definitely thrown a wrench in the gears of, of this year. This year has been something else. So, Yes. Um, so let's go back more to our comfort zone of fantasy football. And, there we go. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about your projections and sort of your thought process that goes behind them. We started on a small scale uh, in 2018 and just kind of projected out the main – the main guys didn't really dive too deep into the, t- the depth charts and anything like that. And loved it, had some pretty great results with it and, you know, dove into full scale, like 300 and I don't know, 360 players or something like that last year. And uh, that was definitely a, a considerable amount more work. Definitely kind of burn myself out on that trying to cram it all into a short period of time and I've been kind of spreading mine out this year and then with work being so busy right now it's kind of spread them out as well but um, definitely learned a lot from last year and kind of the, the first things I really look at when going into the projections is you know obviously any changes that have come about the team any coaching changes uh, whether it be head coach or offensive coordinator in a lot of cases, you know, even defensive coordinator because, uh, you know, a a defense going from a bad defense to a good defense can, can alter things for the offense, you know, as well. So looking at things like that, draft picks, you know, new additions to the team through trade or or signing and stuff like that. And I take into account, um, start basically with three years of data for, for all these players and do, do a little bit of work to weigh down the college projection, you know, based on competition and stuff like that. So that that's a little bit of a process that I won't really get into, but three years of three years of data and uh, you kind of just look at, I, I look at the the trends of the player, the trajectory that the, the player is on and kind of through that formulate uh, a, like a baseline projection and then take into account all those other changes, the coaching changes, the the player, the personnel changes, and everything like that. Uh, injuries, if we if we know about, you know, if if somebody is hurt at that time, it don't really take into consideration injury uh, risk, t- so to speak, because um, projecting an injury out that's kind of a a fruitless endeavor. I mean, you're going to be wrong more often than not. Even you know players that get hurt a lot. You, you can't predict how many games they're going to miss or anything like that. It's just a, it's just a random occurrence thing. And so basically try and focus on what is known and alter the, the baseline projections to fit in with the changes for the team and everything like that. And then um, 
check them out, make sure nothing looks absolutely bananas and then release them for people to pick to pieces. <laughs> that, that is the one thing I always see when anybody drops rankings or projections is everybody goes crazy on them, which uh, I, I don't understand the exact amount of work that goes into projections, but I know it's astronomical and uh, like you could, someone could say, Oh, this player should be higher, but do the projections yourself and see where you get them, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, that's one of the things that kind of gets me usually is, you know, how can you only have this much for this guy? And it's like, well, I'm looking at the current depth chart. I'm looking at these guys pretending they, everybody is healthy all year. And so I, I don't, you know, think that this guy who got targets last year and as a young player is all of a sudden going to not get targets this year. You know, I mean, it's just a, it's a, it's a give and take type of thing. And I got to try and balance out, you know, how often, how, how much does this team historically or this quarterback historically or the coaching staff historically spread the ball around. And if the team has generally had a large usage tree and people are healthy, I can't really sit there and say, well, all of a sudden, they, that usage tree is going to completely narrow down and we're only going to see four or five guys just be funneled targets as opposed to where last year, you know, nine, 10 guys caught balls. So, and that's part of also part of where you have to look at the injury too, though, because you can look at a team's usage tree and it can look large, but then you go back and look at the context of, you know, this guy got hurt, this guy got hurt, this guy got hurt. That is why player A, B and C, now are getting used so that's that's kind of one of the things you also have to to balance out and yeah i mean it's just looking at it and saying well i think this guy deserves more with a but while completely ignoring this other player it's, i i just can't wrap my head around it you know the like if if they're on the roster the chances are they're probably going to catch a few passes you know if if the team generally throws the ball to a lot of guys so uh, yeah and yeah. a great example of that that we'll get into which is our second team to talk about is the 49ers which yeah did a we'll t we'll get more in depth we'll go ahead and uh, dig into the cowboys so um just so everybody understands with this um i went ahead and looked back to 2019 fantasy football finishes related to the points that david projected and then gave them that, like, what they would have finished in 2019. So it's not an exact science of how David would have ordered it for 2020, but it's just the it's the best way that I could figure out how to do it. So for your projections, uh, you had it to where Dak would outscore his 2019 fantasy points and would be the QB2 from 2019. So he was the QB2 in 2020. Uh, 2019. And so in this year, you think he'll score a little bit more. And so um, I'm going to switch the script on you and ask your thoughts about Dak Prescott ranking in dynasty. So do you have Dak Prescott higher than players like Kyler Murray and Deshaun Watson? And this is more like super flex leagues. I think pretty, they're probably all in a pretty similar range, but if I'm looking at drafting this year, I probably would, I probably would take Dak before I would take Kyler, despite the age, Dak's still not, he's still not old. We've seen him be a reliable fantasy asset every year of his career. And it only, you know, the volume increased last year with the change to Kellen Moore at offensive coordinator. 
we are now, you know, we have Mike McCarthy now who we saw, obviously, you know, Dak's not Aaron Rodgers, but McCarthy, you know, teams that he coached produced uh, eight seasons with a QB uh, top 10 in passing TDs, nine seasons with top 10 offense. And so you, you add in that and he, his team's historically, you know, not a bunch of rushing attempts. And, but I think that the fact that they kept more over from the Garrett regime and the fact that Zeke is getting paid so dang much, that's not really, we're, we're not going to see like a full on shift in the offensive thought process, the offensive scheme. It's going to be a lot of what we saw last year with a lot of, you know, McCarthy coming in and bringing, bringing in what he can do. And we saw, you know, Aaron Rodgers, he, he wasn't exactly always a volume QB, but he was always efficient with his, with his work. And so if we can get, you know, Dak seen an increase in his attempts every year and it jumped big time, almost up to 600 attempts last year. They added weapons in the passing game. We have Blake Jarwin now. Who we're going to get into all these guys as we go, but I think he adds a much more uh, explosive factor than we saw from Jason Witten, obviously, you know, in the twilight of his career. It seems to be the Frank Gore of tight ends, just going and going and going. But I think Jarwin will add a much more explosive factor to that position. You have three legitimate wide receivers, and obviously we haven't seen CeeDee Lamb out there, but we would assume, you know, they had him rank so high and he came to their draft slot and they said, it's stupid, you know, we weren't going to take him, but it's stupid as of not to take him at this value. So you got three legitimate weapons. Z can catch passes. Dak has a rushing floor and he lost TDs last year, but he, he was pretty dang close to his first couple years in rushing attempt volume he just had half the touchdowns so he's still solid there still going to provide you a little bit and that'll in my lesson you know as the past attempts which i have going up a little bit uh increase but i definitely think he is safe kyler we've seen one season from uh watson what's he going to be without nuke we don't know. He definitely, they both obviously are great quarterbacks, but I think, I think when you look at Dak, I think he is potentially a safer, a safer pick, much like, you know, Zeke is often viewed as the safest pick because there's just so much that's known with Zeke as compared to a lot of other running backs. A lot of people look and say, you know, he's probably the safest pick for, for you know a running back this year but maybe not the highest ceiling i think dak is similar in a lot of ways to that you know he's safe but might might not have the ceiling of some guys but if if he continues to progress man i mean it's hard to argue him going i mean maybe after watson and murray but it's it's really hard to argue him going any lower than that yeah and i i agree that uh, Dak right now in Dynasty, and I, I would say I expect it to stay the same, that Dak is my QB3 in Dynasty. And obviously if Kyler Murray lights the world on fire and is like, has like a QB2, QB3 season or something like that, then that, that would obviously change it. But like you already mentioned, Kyler, he's only been in the league for one year. Uh, it's funny, though, because Kyler did add, add Nuke 
while Deshaun wants it lost, Newt. It just popped into my head, too. I was like, you know, that's kind of a weird correlation right there. Let's see. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to watch. Um, I, I, honestly, this season may just be wonky with COVID in general. Hopefully not. Maybe. But uh, some people have been making the correlation between how Mike McCarthy used Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams to how he's going to use Zeke and Tony Pollard. So my question to you is, do you see Pollard getting more work and being like a sneaky flex play, or is he still Zeke's backup and Zeke's going to get a ton of work? I am definitely of the thinking that it's Zeke's backfield still. They're paying him a ton of money. He's been healthy his entire career. The only time he's missed games is when he's been a knucklehead. He is... You know, he can handle as large of a workload as anybody. He is when he gets passes, he's great in the passing game. They still have a great O line and Pollard can be he can be effective in his usage, but I definitely think it's more of um and this may not hold any weight now with Austin Eckler doing what he did last year, but I think it's more of one of those things like where Pollard a lot of the time is getting brought in in passing down situations and stuff like that, where the lines opened up, they're not loaded in the box because Ezekiel Elliott is in the backfield and probably gets a few more open looks, you know, some more, some more larger holes with the defense being spread out. But I definitely think if Zeke were to go down for any reason, and this is, you know, another, another reason why he's so safe is the health. Zeke already had COVID. So, we're not really at any risk of losing him anytime during the season other than, you know, making some sort of mistake. Uh, they're paying him a ton of money. Like I said, I, I absolutely think they're going to ride Zeke till the wheels fall off. So definitely, definitely would take him guaranteed top three in every format this year and possibly with like i said the safety factor coming in you can i've seen him going at two in a lot of places as well so yeah i've seen that too i saw some people in scott fishbowl doing that um and i do agree is he super safe honestly maybe the cowboys are just like Okay, Cowboys quarterbacks and running backs are the safest. I know receivers gets a little wonky, which we're going to go to next. Um, but I, I do agree that I think Zeke will have the backfield. I don't think McCarthy's had a running back as talented as Zeke. Zeke is elite. Um, I know Aaron Jones has had his efficiency numbers and all that, but, I mean, Zeke is Zeke. So, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, your wide receiver fantasy points really interested me because, okay, th- I, I wrote this when I was I was skeptical of uh, Gallup, which I've actually turned around on Gallup. I've been seeing a couple of stuff posted on Twitter, and also your own projections were uh, interesting to look at. But um, with it, what are your thoughts on Gallup for 2020? Because you currently have Gallup 30 PPR fantasy points less than Cooper and finishing just slightly below his point-per-game numbers from 2019. Uh, I, I honestly, I, I don't. I know they added CD Lamb, but especially with all the the uncertainty going into this year and everything like that, receivers, you know, receivers don't often 
just light the world on fire year one. That's more of a running back thing to do. Uh, Gallup, actually, his his pace was similar in formats and in some formats slightly better than Amari Cooper's last year. He's been with the team and produced for two years and definitely improved from year one. Dak, there's times where Dak favors Gallup in the red zone. I've, I've seen you know, Dak with Amari Cooper on the field, with Witten on the field, Zeke on the field. I believe there was a time last year they went to Gallup on three straight fade routes and brought in the third one. And I, I just don't, uh, I don't get why, why what everybody, with, like I said, with all the uncertainty this year, is just all of a sudden writing him off when he was as good as he was last year. You, you don't just ignore that type of player might lose a little bit of volume but again that may not really be a factor this year if if cd takes a little bit of time to hit Gallup could definitely you know definitely challenge um cooper for for target the target lead in the first you know the first few weeks at least and cooper's probably going to be the more efficient receiver obviously but i mean in a, like a point per first down and point per reception format, I believe that Michael Gallup was slightly ahead of Amari Cooper's pace last year. So I don't think you just completely discard a player like that when they've shown as much as they've shown. You got us, I'm projecting an increase in, in attempts for Dak. They lost a whole lot of, you know, a whole lot of targets that went to Randall Cobb and Jason Witten and targets are earned targets are not given. And Michael Gallup, I believe is firmly earned targets. So I don't think Jarwin is going to jump up and, you know, they had a hundred and 120 some targets to tight ends last year. I don't think Blake Jarwin is going to hit, you know, anywhere near that. He'll, I believe he'll be, you know, slightly below, Witten's pace. I don't think Dalton Schultz is going to come out, and I don't. I don't believe he's going to do what Jarwin was able to do last year. I think with adding another receiver, they're going to spread things out a little bit more, and I, I definitely believe that there is enough targets to go around for them to have two very very viable wide receivers in fantasy, and potentially by season's end, have three guys that can put up usable weeks on a, you know, on a given week. So. Yeah. And um, I know one thing that I myself was not remembering is how many fantasy points Dak Prescott produces or at least produced last year. And if he keeps that up, which I don't see a reason why he wouldn't, I could easily see him. Like you have Amari Cooper for 266 points. And at first I was like, that's really low. But then you look at the wide receiver numbers in 2019 and that'd be wide receiver six in 2019. And then yeah. Michael Gallup, 230 points, which is wide receiver 15. And then if someone's like, oh, you're disrespecting CD Lamb, you still gave CD Lamb 163 points and wide receiver 39. Yeah, so, the three top 40s, the CD can be, you know, one of them can absolutely be a flex play. And, you know, CD Lamb could just come in and light the world on fire. But like I said, it's it's not something that that really happens a lot when you already have established really good veterans that are there that he now has to try and overtake. So it's going to be one of those things where I think he'll take some time 
And I think the early, the few, you know, the weeks early in the year, Gallup and Cooper are going to dominate that target share. And they don't particularly have a, a huge usage tree in Dallas. It, it, you know, Dak kind of focuses in on a few guys that he's not going to spread it all around the field like, you know, a team that we are going to talk about next. So. Yeah. So we'll do a quick finish on Blake Jarwin. So um, a lot of people are saying he's going to be a breakout tight end. Um, you currently have him projected for 150 points, which would be, to, and this is PPR points again, tight end nine in 2019. So are you more on that he'll get work, but he won't be like that top six or above tight end? Uh, yeah, I actually, my my hot take for the tight end this year was Blake Jarwin tight end six, but I, it's, that's why it's a hot take is I don't, we don't really believe that that's going to happen, but depending on what happens with with uh, C.D. Lamb, I, you know, if C.D. Lamb's not hitting, then I think Jarwin, even though their targets aren't going to be the same targets, I think he could be somebody that would benefit from C.D. having a bit of a slow start. He's always been effective on his targets, much more explosive than Jason Witten was last year. I mean, he he had pretty much just slightly under half the target volume. And I, I created a, a little formula for a thing called like a wide receiver production grade. And it takes into, it's more of a real, real life kind of thing more than fantasy. And it takes into account first downs, uh, touchdowns, and then everything else it would be, those are positive plays. Everything else is a medium play. And then incompletions and fumbles would be negative plays. And Blake Jarwin, produced only 10 fewer positive plays than Jason Witten on less than half the volume. So a lot of times a second tight end will slip out, but we've seen him for a couple of years on his usage be effective. So I don't think it was necessarily just him sneaking out, nobody paying attention, even though, you know, there's a lot of times he's wide open, but we've seen him do that for two years now. And I was high on him last year because I thought Witten was kind of just going to be there to, you know, to teach and to catch, you know, third and eights all the time. And I thought they would use Jarwin a bit more, but definitely with Witten gone now, I think he can be much more of a factor, but yeah, absolutely going to rely on the efficiency more than the volume. Gotcha. And that makes sense. Um, so next we're going to go to the 49ers, which I think most people are interested in running backs for the 49ers. So um going to just break down your projections real quick. You have Mostert out-touching Coleman by only 14 touches, but you have Raheem Mostert be more efficient with those touches with 165 fantasy points, which would be RB25 in 2019. And then Tevin Coleman having 129 fantasy points. This is PPR again, RB40. And then Jarek McKinnon, which a lot of people have been talking about recently, at 78 fantasy points. So uh, with the 49 backfields, um, are you expecting – I know we talked about the splits, the coaching splits, so a pretty even split with most are getting that slight edge like you have. Uh, I do think it'll be split pretty pretty evenly between those two and even have heard some rumors recently about possibly McKinnon challenging Coleman for that kind of a role – but it took some crazy efficiency for Mostert to do what he did at the end of the year last year. And I mean, I'm definitely happy with it. I, he was somebody who helped me win 
a championship last year. So I'm definitely not going to complain, but that's also not always something you can rely on. Touchdowns are not always sticky. Coleman still scored a lot and he was still, even though he was not as efficient, he was still being used. And so I think with Coleman being Shanahan's guy, you know, from the Atlanta days, Mostert being very efficient and for whatever reason, complaining about his role with one of the best schemes for a running back, you know, he might not get the total, the, the touch load, like the normal bell cow would get, but they, they score a lot. And, but it's just kind of one of those things where there's a lot of guys who are capable. And unless I hear something definitive as we approach the season, like, you know, we are going to feature this guy. I have to project with, you know, three capable backs. They have, you know, a rookie in there. And I, not that I'm thinking he's going to touch the ball a bunch, but I, they, they obviously drafted him. So they liked him somewhat. And, I think he would factor in if maybe McKinnon was not the healthiest all year. But three capable backs, I definitely think they'll they'll split them out. And it it might be one of those things where one's just used largely near the goal line, one's used in the middle of the field, and one kind of sprinkled in here and there throughout, which is kind of what we you know have seen. You know, Brita a lot of times there was he he had to score from a mile out to see, it seemed like to get a touchdown and everybody just wanted just feature Brita. And, you know, it, it just wasn't something that was in the cards. So I, I think Coleman also having the uh, high ankle sprain last year, probably played in a little bit to, to his inefficiency, but I, I think that they'll probably spread pretty evenly. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's what they've shown as well. So, uh, the last group we're going to talk about for the 49ers is the wide receivers. And uh, if anybody's interested in the actual numbers for your projections, you have Debo Samuel with 160 points, wide receiver 40 in 2019, and then Brandon Ayuk with 170, wide receiver 37 in 2019. So I'm going to guess that you have Debo Samuel missed some time with his injury, which does make sense. Um, and with this, I'm guessing you don't expect Brandon Ayuk to light the world on fire whenever Debo's out. Yeah, and this was, you know, I talked earlier, let's go with the known, and he, Debo is expected, there's a lot of expectation that he'll be back to start the season, and that's, it's just kind of one of those things that when I hear somebody say he's ready to go week one, I'll go in and, and alter the projections and probably he'll, he'll, he'll increase up, because, but I do have him right now just kind of being safe to, to possibly miss some games early in the season. Ayuk, I, I think he'll factor in, but they're one of those teams that they spread the ball around. And last year there wasn't anybody besides Debo or Kittle that had over, you know, 40, 40 plus targets. I think Kendrick Bourne was the, if I remember correctly, was the third on the team and just over 40 targets. And then it was just kind of evenly spread throughout the rest of the team, but they also had a lot of injuries. They're going to have Jalen Hurd would assume he'd be, you know, factoring in this year. They have such a, they also have such a limited, since Shanahan's been there, they have such a limited ceiling because they just don't, the, the, the touchdowns get spread and nobody just seems to get 
fed those touchdowns. I mean, I think it's it's nobody's gotten more than five total since they've been there. So you're really just relying on kind of a lot of volume, which I don't exactly have them projected for a lot of volume because they run the ball so much. And that's kind of dipped in the last couple of years, but it's gone down consistently with the addition of Jimmy Garoppolo being the starter of the quarterback at quarterback. So I, I would tend to assume that it would be a similar thought process for them this year could increase some with Garoppolo, you know, growing a little bit as a quarterback, them adding Ayuk, but definitely don't think it's going to be a huge uh, gold mine for receivers coming out. You're, you're going to be looking largely at kind of low end WR2 uh, flex play unless Debo is like locked in, ready to go week one. And even then still, he could still, get limited on his usage with that injury. So I think with them, as far as pass catching, you're really just the 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 only guy I would really be banking on is, is obviously George Kittle. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we're not going to really mention George Kittle a whole lot because I think everybody knows he's George Kittle. He could be tight in one. He could be tight in two. He is not going to probably go below tight in three. <laughs> yeah, I think. Um, Absolutely. Dude's a monster. Yes, he's a beast. Hopefully he gets his contract. Um, but the next thing I want to talk about is also a beast on the Panthers, the everybody's favorite, uh, Christian McCaffrey. So you have him at 452 points, um, and I'm almost positive that means you think he's going to be the RB1 again, which I'd say most people do as well. The more interesting points is around DJ Moore. And I've had a couple arguments about DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey, and um, I've had a thought process. If Christian McCaffrey remains the RB1, I find it difficult for DJ Moore to be a wide receiver one. So not the wide receiver one, just a wide receiver one. So you have DJ Moore, 212 points around. That would have been around wide receiver 23 in 2019. So um, just what are your thoughts in general on DJ Moore? I know a lot of people are interested on that. It's kind of one of those things where I think Teddy – Teddy's going to be good. Teddy's going to be efficient. But I think the ceiling for the receivers is definitely capped. Um, if he funnels targets to DJ Moore like he did last year to Michael Thomas, which, I mean, he pretty much this part of the thought process with with CMC as well is, I mean, there was only, I believe, only one game where Kamara saw fewer than, I think it was seven targets with with uh, Teddy at quarterback, so definitely not fearing too much of a drop-off for CMC through the passing game. So, yeah, I would tend to agree, like you're saying, it's going to be tough with uh, the projected volume, even though it might increase with Joe Brady taking over. Obviously, we saw something special last year with you know him calling the plays at LSU and – but you still also have to take into account the guy who's going to be throwing the ball and then the rest of the, the weapons. And you don't just not use CMC, even though funneling targets to him has not really been a winning formula. It's it's one of those things that it's kind of hard not to not to do because he's so dang good. So you just kind of have to hope that the other guys can progress in the offense and they can just have more opportunity with the ball. And I just, I, I don't know if 
Teddy gives them a ceiling enough for that kind of thing to happen. They also added uh, Robbie Anderson and not that Robbie's going to go in there and be a huge target monster either, but they definitely, he's a deep threat. So they must think that Teddy can do something to maximize his abilities on the team if they went out and got him. So they have three, you know, solid wide receivers out there. You're going to have, a target increase from Ian Thomas, but I don't think Ian Thomas, you know, with how we saw uh, Cook used when Bridgewater was in, Cook, you know, didn't see it an increase. He he saw a much more increase when Breeze was in. Cook was kind of, uh, you know, playing third or fourth fiddle in most games, and it was pretty much all Michael Thomas and Kamara, but that could speak well for, like I said, could speak well for DJ Moore, but I, I just, it's one of those things where I kind of got to project out the whole team. And if everybody's healthy all year, I think they get multiple guys into the, into the mix and Bridgewater being, you know, accurate, not really a deep, a deep ball thrower, but I do think he'll get a few off to Robbie Anderson from time to time. It's, it's going to be interesting though, in, but I just I think it's going to be spread around enough that it will be very hard for DJ Moore to enter that WR1 conversation. Yeah, and I agree. And uh, one interesting note I wanted to make about Teddy Bridgewater that I know some people have mentioned like Teddy Bridgewater isn't safe in Dynasty and mentioning how if he struggles, they're going to get a rookie quarterback early. But uh, I think everybody needs to remember that Teddy Bridgewater's contract right now is uh, he has $20 million in dead cap if he is cut before the end of the 2021 season, which is next year. But after the 2021 season, the dead cap drops to 5 million. So um, I think Teddy Bridgewater is pretty safe for two years in dynasty, which for quarterbacks right now with the landscape, it's pretty good. <laughs> There's a lot of quarterbacks here like one, maybe two years, hopefully. Yeah. Like yeah, even it, Rogers, like you're just like, who knows? Yeah. And, and especially in a super flex where, you know, every quarterback is rostered there. You're going to have, you know, a safe, like low end quarterback to low to, mid to low end quarterback to with, he's got weapons. So that will help him. He just doesn't have the ceiling of a lot of guys, but you, you're also not going to be paying for him all that much. So it's definitely, if you are one of those people that fades quarterback, even in a super flex, which I, I am, one of those people, obviously, you know, if, if something falls, some crazy value falls to me at a draft slot that I say, you know, I can't pass that up. I'm going to adjust my my theory, but I I would much rather go with a guy like we just talked, you know, the team we just talked about with Jimmy Garoppolo and then a guy like Teddy as my two starters being safe and then capitalizing on the uh, advantage I can get at the other position over the guys who are taking quarterback early. So. Yeah. And I think looking at contracts can provide some help. I know we have like Nick Foles, an example of one contract that didn't really work out, even though he may be the starter on the bears, but like another example is like a Jared Goff. Um, yeah. He's another one. So I'm, I'm still trying to figure out my super flex strategy. At first I was QB early all day. And then I've tried a couple with QB late. And those QB Lake teams look so good. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. You, well, and I, I did a tweet a while back, and I can't remember exactly everything it says, but just like the difference if you take two quarterbacks that are relatively high because you're trying, you know, you have those two positions and 
or those, you know, the super flex to fill. And now you have a quarterback that, you know, quarterbacks put up more points, but then if something were to happen it, and it's kind of a safety thing for me, if something is to happen to those quarterbacks, who are you're grabbing either their backup off the wire or a very, very low, low end starter. And you're getting a huge drop off in production. Whereas if you're taking those running backs early there, you know, obviously we know that it running, you know, running backs don't matter. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I, I don't believe that. I believe elite running backs matter, but with, you know, backups being able to come in and produce similarly, not obviously not the ceiling, but they can produce similarly as we saw with guys like Wayne Gallman last year and, you know, the game that he had, we, you can get something closer to what you're losing without having to sacrifice the the risk of taking a huge hit if you lose your quarterback so yeah yeah and i agree um i think everybody needs to think about how they want to do their own super flex strategy i know we have john john hogue who's very much qb early and i think it's more related to safety and security um and uh, John, John's a little irrational about quarterbacks. I love you, John, but uh, <laughs> he, he likes them a, a lot. He likes quarterbacks yeah. a lot, but I actually do. I I value. Yeah, I ask him his opinion when I started out in Superflex because it was just something that was really hard for me to grasp how people were valuing quarterbacks, and I I've bounced tons and tons of questions off of John just to get his point of view on it. He's helped me a lot. So he's, he is a great follow as far as I'm concerned. I, I completely agree. Uh, he's made me question some stuff related to super flex and it's always good to get questioned. And that's why I like having people like you on the podcast to talk about your, your ranking or not your rankings, your projections. So I just want to thank you for coming on today, David. And uh, if anybody for any reason is not following David on Twitter, make sure to follow him at Wilson eight tour. Uh, and that's W-I-L-S-O-N-8 and the T-O-R. So um, I know we mentioned at the beginning of the show that you have a new podcast coming out. Do you want to talk about that or any other new project you have going on? Yeah, it's just me and uh, Alfred. Yeah, I believe it's at A-L underscore F-F-R-E-D. Uh, we, he's a new writer over at DLF, and we've been uh, communicating a lot. You, are, you and I and him are all in a a fairly large group chat where we all, you know, share, share our content and banter back and forth and him signing on at DLF and me and him had, uh, had a lot of good interactions. I threw the idea out there that, you know, Hey, do you maybe want to start talking on the mic for a little while together? And he, we kind of came up with something. We were trying to think of something that hadn't been done which is such a i mean i'm sure you know it's it's a hard thing to do to try and sit yep. there and create something new that isn't already being done so um we kind of got an idea we think is pretty solid and i'm just finishing up the edits for the first episode and we have a have a pretty like a pretty fire song coming from ff man bun and some great graphics coming and um, pretty excited about that. So just be watching, watching for the drop. Awesome. I know I'll be watching for it. Uh, both Alfred and David, great follows. Uh, we do definitely get some banter in that group. And uh, it gets intense sometimes, but we always mellow back down. We always mellow back down. 
Yeah, yeah. Nick, Nick, Nick Pantikoff gets a little bit wild. <laughs> oh, hey, I get wild too. I can't, I can't just throw him under the bus. Uh, uh, Nick and I went round for round with CMC versus Saquon, and it, it was fun. I like, I like, yeah. you know, with, I'm not arguing, discussing with Nick. No, uh, me and me and Nick go back to our FF statistics days, and he's he's a great dude. I uh, I love him, and uh, he he's the one who got that group all together, and yeah, has co- collected so many so many great minds from around the com- the community in, in that thing. So, hats off to him, and definitely definitely love his content as well. Even though our thoughts on Clyde Edwards Hilaire don't always line up. Yeah. That'll be for another show. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> 10 shows. <laughs> so I just want to thank you again for coming on, David. Also, everyone, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review to the Snake in the Trap podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. And I just want to thank everybody for tuning in. And let's be snakes this draft season. Oh.